0: and of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Thank you, Jay. You can keep your mic. You may be seated. Can we give it up for Jayden again? Come on. This guy can get buckets, my friends. He's a hooper. He's something else. I've been telling him that we need to do a documentary where we follow him and he tries out for the Jay College team. We're working on it. Hey, if you are here for the first time, so, so glad that you're joining us. If you've been here for any amount of time and this is your home church, we're grateful that you're here as well. You might be online wherever you are, however you have found yourself here. We're just grateful that you would spend a portion of your weekend with us. My name is Jed, and it's a privilege to get to serve as one of our pastors on staff And the passage that Jaden read from, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, constitutes a major section where we have taken from as we are in this series called Exponential. And last week, if you were here, Britt kicked us off and we'll do a little bit of a recap. This was your very first fill-in-the-blank last week that you have no idea what God can do through you. And he taught out of John chapter 6, we have this great story where this kid has his lunch, five loaves and two fish, and it is taken before Jesus, and he multiplies that to feed the multitude. And it's this miraculous story. And we were reminded last week again that we just cannot, cannot comprehend all that God wants to do and can do through us. And so this morning, I want to show you a little bit of a picture to help us see what exponential growth can look like. It'll be up on the screen here. You can see that at December 31st, there isn't too much happening, and then suddenly we spike up to 100. Do you see that? That's just wildness. That number at the very top, it is surpassing over 10 million, and that's happening within just a matter of of hours, And I'll explain in a little bit what that is. But these are worldwide searches for one term in particular. And that Sunday night, right around 7 or so p.m., the world was captivated and searched something over 10 million times. Your first fill-in-the-blank this week is, We Have No Idea What God Can Do In And Through Us. So last week is... Just in general, you have no idea what God can do through you. This week, we'll be looking at the collective us. And the next week, Britt, will be going back to focus on us as individuals. We have no idea what God can do in and through us. And I'll tell you. In preparation for this message, when we have a topic or subject like that, I think it would make a lot of sense, of course, for us to think about us as a collective and emphasize all that God wants to accomplish when we join in together through the power of His Spirit and go out boldly as the hands and feet Of Jesus. And we can think about the wild, wild things that God can and wants to accomplish through a local body called Sunridge in this valley and beyond. And there are lots of ways that we can do that. We can do that by gathering together here. On Sunday mornings. You can join us in by partaking in a life group. Heather will talk about that later on in the service. You can join us by serving across our building or with us when we are off site. There are so many ways that you and I together as this corporate body, this local church family called Sunridge can join hands with Jesus Christ and make a big, big difference in this valley and beyond. And we're going to be talking about those things later on this month, inviting you into ways that we can be radically generous together with all of the resources that God has given us, remembering that the step that we think is inconsequential, He can absolutely make exponential. But this morning, I want to complement those ideas of us doing those big, wonderful things together and bolster them with what Paul is praying in this prayer and what he's actually getting after so that we can go out and take part in those things together. Now, just a few moments ago, I showed you that slide, remember, of that exponential search suddenly of something that was looked at on Google and across the web worldwide over 10 million times just in a matter of moments. If you turn your attention to the screens, this is what was behind that moment.
1: It was clear from their reaction that this situation was dire and that Hamlin was in distress. And as you see, those are hard to look at, man. Um, Stefan Diggs in tears as he sees his teammate on the field being tended to, and uh, as reports have been given throughout this hour and change since this injury, CPR administered on the field, as Joe Buck just recently has shared with us, Hamlin is in critical condition. You see the prayers and we join them in lifting up this young man's name in prayer in the hopes that uh, hopefully there's better news to come here very, very soon. right?
0: Are any of you aware of what happened this past Sunday night during that AFC game that was supposed to be really, really important for playoff seedings? And of course, we were met with the fragility of life there where DeMar Hamlin, a 24-year-old safety, was making a tackle on T. Higgins and he was hit in the chest and it sent him into cardiac arrest. He was out on the field for over nine minutes and ended up canceling the game. And all around the world, people started searching for the Buffalo Bills and then DeMar Hamlin. Over 10 million times in the short amount of space. And what was really wild about this movement is DeMar's family and the coaches from both sides actually started asking that people would pray for this young man. And we saw over the course of this past week something, a topic that has been controversial for us, understandably so for the last several decades, actually rallied many, many people of different faith backgrounds and traditions all across the world to pray for this young man who was in critical condition. And what's really, really wild, this Sunday morning, as the Bills are taking the field, DeMar Hamlin actually tweeted. (laughs) uh, He was removed from critical condition. Uh, There is not neurological damage, from what they understand. He was taken off of his breathing tube just a few days ago, and he tweeted that there was no place he'd rather be than on the field with his boys, but God has him in a different place right now. And then he asked for more prayer. Isn't that wildness? It's just, it's so hard to comprehend that many people suddenly compelled to ask and to plead. And then we think about all of the things that are happening in your life and in my life right now, all the things that we wish, if, if so many others could just join us in pleading before God in that way, might something change Is the volume of prayer what makes the difference? Why is it that all of this energy directed to this individual could somehow bring about a miraculous result? And then perhaps you and I are looking at our friends and our family or those around us in the circumstances that we find ourselves in and we're saying, God, where's the immeasurably more for us, for me, for this church, for what you're doing here? I love, love, love what happened this past week. But even more so, I love this prayer. I love this prayer. And just as DeMar Hamlin was asking and his family was asking for prayers this week, today, as we're in the second week of this year's exponential, we're going to be looking at this prayer a little bit more. And the first passage of scripture that you got last week is the same one that you have in this note sheet. Again, it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, Then all we ask or imagine according to his power is that work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. We see it's a what? It's a prayer, yes? Here's your next fill in the blank. This prayer is a prayer that doesn't add up. All right, so this is a prayer that doesn't add up. Now, exponential as a term can be understood mathematically, Yes. Some of us really enjoyed history and English like myself or maybe not so much math people, but I do remember a little bit about exponents. You take the base number and then the exponent, you multiply as many times as it's there. And I looked up two to the 10th power, by the way, just this past week for fun. It's this ridiculously long number. (laughs) Just search it up if you'd like. Google two to the 10th power and just have your mind blown for how big and vast of a number that is. It's so hard to understand what these numbers represent because when we think about numbers, if I say one plus one equals two, you're thinking about that abstractly. But when you learned how to count, you were pointed at things. We could say, well, one plus one equals two. But when you get to these massive numbers, you cannot even fathom What these symbols are trying to represent. And this prayer is asking for something that is really tough for us to compute logically and rationally. Because Paul is asking this that you may know the love that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you see how that doesn't add up neatly? Would you know the love that surpasses knowledge? Would you somehow be able to grasp the thing that you can't get? Would you be filled to all the fullness of the measure of God, the God of the cosmos, the God who created all things? Would you be filled to the fullness? of this God. Do you see how those things don't necessarily compute in ways that you and I can just add up nice and tidy? And if you and I could somehow grapple or grasp the magnitude of this something would be wrong. Something would be wrong. Uh, we're, there's just no way. And yet if it's a prayer that's being asked and God Listens to our prayers and responds and answers to our prayers. Don't you just wonder how in the world a prayer like this could be answered? I could go into the exegetical pieces of this that show that knowledge and knowing those things, there's a way to line those things up. But Paul, I know when he's speaking of these things, it's supposed to be incomprehensible in some way that, at the very least, should cause you to stop and be in on wonder. But how do I know? That this is actually possible. Well, you just keep reading. Now to him, who by the power of work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we ask or imagine him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That now there, it's conjunction, but it's what we call logical contrastive in the Greek. It falls right after that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. And immediately we have a now To him who is able to do immeasurably more. You know what the now that God can do is? The impossible that God can do? The impossible that God can do, the thing that God can do is actually empower us somehow to be able to know the love that surpasses knowledge. God is the answer to this wild prayer. It is his power that somehow enables us collectively to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Do you see how wild that is? We have this prayer that is being asked that doesn't add up. It's just so remarkable to think. And then God is able to do that. That's the immeasurably more. When we say now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us, we're not just talking about now to God who is able to do wild, big things that go beyond the stuff that you and I could think of. No, no. The reason why God can do those things in the first place is because he is able, he is able to compel us and show us with his love. So here's your next fill in the blank. God has the power to help us rearrange our world as this prayer is asked and answered. God has the power to do that. You've heard before quotes from St. Augustine. Britt has referenced it many times about how sin can be disordered love, our affections out of place. And when we have this prayer that Paul is praying, we're essentially saying, God, we trust that in your power, you can help us rearrange and rethink and reimagine what life can look like because of what you've demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ the Christ. That is what is possible here. What's wild about Paul praying this in the letter to the Ephesians? Does anyone know about how big Temecula and Marietta combined are? Population-wise? 250 Wade, that's right. Pretty much on the dot. How do you know that? Because you're Wade. Uh, I don't know how Wade knew that. I did not plant that, by the way. Wade Morgan, good for you. About 250,000 or so people in Temecula and Murrieta together, right? And I actually live in Wildemar, just outside, so I guess I'm not counted in this. Our family's not in these numbers. But think about Temecula and Murrieta, which is, for the most part, many of us reside. It's a pretty big place, right? We like to think we're a we're, we're small-town feel and whatnot, but that's a lot of people, 250,000 people. The reason why I, I, I bring that number to your attention is because in the ancient world, Ephesus was roughly about 249,000 or so people. Really, really close. So this is contextually, we can understand this. Think about our city and our place. But there's not that much to do in Temecula, right? I mean, there are great things about our city. We love our city, but there isn't necessarily too much to do here. In the ancient world, Ephesus was one of the major Major places, a major city, a financial capital. People flocked to this place. It held the temple of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. She was the fertility god. Her temple spanned over 100,000 square feet, right? That's over two football fields. One of the seven wonders of the world. Ephesus held the Pan-Ionian Games, which was only second to the Olympics, it was this place where you came to be seen and to watch and to marvel. In terms of big and grand and hip and happening, Ephesus was that. How wild to think in a place so massive, Paul would be praying a prayer that they would know the love of Christ that blows everything, everything out of the water. So if we're to cross a cultural bridge and know this prayer has been asked for Christ's followers and for people all around the world, century after century, we can ask ourselves this question, how does this prayer impact our mission together? What do we do with a prayer like this? How should it compel us forward? My hope today is that after this morning, you would never look at this prayer the same again. And you would see this wild thing that has been asked is something that God can do. So here's that next fill in the blank about how this can impact us. It should reconfigure our sense of stability. Reconfigure our sense of stability. Now, several months ago, Brother Bob, one of our pastors on staff, talked about how in the mornings when he puts on his socks, he actually does it on one leg. Do you guys remember that? Right, It's like he's testing his proprioception. He's putting on his socks, trying to keep himself agile. I think Bob is 57 or 58. He still plays basketball with Jaden and I, and he's really, really good. Stability is important. Balance is huge. And we don't like being unstable. How many of you know what it is to be asleep in your bed and you're kind of drooling? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and then it's like, woo. Right? What just happened? What did I just describe? You fell, (laughs) fell flat, right? We don't like that feeling, but do you know what I'm talking about? That dream where suddenly you just you catch yourself because you're falling. Uh, None of us like that feeling, and so we look at Paul and how he prays this. He's combating that sense of whoa. Look, he's saying, "I pray that you may have the power to comprehend." or excuse me, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. He starts with a prayer that says, I am asking God that he strengthens you so that you can be rooted and grounded. In other words, the assumption then is our weakness, our propensity, our inclination, our tendency is to not be rooted and grounded in love. Our tendency is to wonder, is that actually possible? And the tenses here are passive. The rooted and grounded, it's happening to us. Paul's not saying I'm praying that you shore up and hold yourself really tight in the love of Christ. No, he's saying that Christ is going to hold you and ground you and root you there. So that feels good, right? That feels good. We like that. That's not falling out of our beds. But then look what he says after. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, where's the breadth and the length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we get back to that, wait, hold on. We were just trying to get our feet on the ground and suddenly the way that this is described, The breath, that word, it has this idea of just being sent out just as far as possible, just wide, 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 and then it's followed by the length. And so it's odd to have these things connected, to be sent out, and then suddenly it's this idea of of measuring, trying to have some idea of what this length is, and then the height. We're talking about this word that's being used to ascend as high as possible. Do you remember that old Josh Groban song, You Raise Me Up? That song, do you remember? I went and watched the video of that last night when I was here after shooting hoops getting ready, a little bit more just to fine tune. And I just, it it is a really, really great song, but a really, really odd music video. (laughs) I'm just saying, you have to watch it. When the, when the choir comes in and they're all singing together, sometimes the people like look odd into the camera and it's like, you weren't supposed to do that. You're supposed to be in the moment, but it's stuck forever. It's incredible. Watch it. You Raising Me Up by Josh Groban. The word raised here, it, it has that being sent as high as possible and then it immediately fall the depths. And the word here, it it refers to going as far into the earth as possible in some secular uses, but it also was used by philosophers to imagine how deep human beings could be. And if you take all that together, breadth and length and height and depth, suddenly don't you feel like you're suspended again? It's like if that's the love of Christ, doesn't it, shouldn't it just, Set you back? That's just love for us. And the hope is that we would be moved by that. We hear love all the time. It is like, oh, love, love, oh, Christ love. The prayer, the immeasurably more is that we would have this. So here's your next fill in the blank. It doesn't just reconfigure our sense of stability. It ought to reconfigure our sense of tension. Now, when I say tension, I'm talking about it in two different ways. The first way that I'm describing tension is the type of tension that you feel in your headache when it just hurts. The the tension that we don't want to have, that worry, that ugh. You see, often for us as people, the stress that we have in this life isn't just because we can't handle our stuff, right? And the things that are confronting us, but because we feel the need to handle the things of all those around us. Of course, we have worry and stress. We are bombarded with things to worry about. And when we talk about the movement of Christ followers, can you imagine if in place of all of our worry and our stress and the tension that we hold because we are not the ones that are just able to save this world. Somehow, collectively, we could more and more know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Can you imagine what the world Christian movement would look like if all of us in our unique spaces and places together, if we left this building and instead of just worry, there were a relinquishing of some of it, more of it to the one who loves beyond what we could comprehend just on our own that's that's the first way that it could reconfigure tension. The second is in the way that we've used the word tension for many, many years. Have you heard I know that you've heard because we've all said it in some in some way that I'm just holding these things in tension, right? In other words, I, I want to I want to love my neighbor. I want to love this person, but I also want to hold intention, what God says about this or that, just holding that intention. We say that all the time. It's, it's, almost, it's, it's like almost trendy. It's been trendy for decades to say I hold things in tension. I think the reason why I struggle a little bit with that, even though I've used those terms myself, is that when we're able to say that so calmly, you know, I'm just holding these things in tension, it's like, that is not what's being described there. Tension, if we're saying we're holding things in tension, if we're really struggling to love our neighbor and still have a way to grapple with what God says, that should be gut-wrenching. It should be so, so hard because at some point we should feel the weight of our own sin, our own lostness. All the stuff that we have that might have us question whether or not God's love is available to us. We should feel the tension of why it is that we struggle deeply, quietly with shame or a lack of belief that God actually has forgiven us. All these things, that, that's where tension is. When we talk about working out, it's not fun, okay? It's not. Because the only way that your muscles grow is if you keep them under tension for longer than you want them to. You can put on a timer instead of counting repetitions. Just put on a timer the next time you're trying to do something, you know, whatever your movements are. Put on a timer for a minute or more. It is gut wrenching. It doesn't matter what weight you're carrying, it will hurt. That's what tension is, when you feel things tearing apart. And so I, I think, I imagine that for many of us, maybe perhaps instead of just using that so flippantly, I'm just holding these things in tension. There's other, either some gut work that we need to do in ourselves, or maybe there's just an acceptance that it's hard to fathom that somehow God is able. It's somehow difficult to imagine that God is able to do it. How is it not just this or that? How is it both together? I'm going to show you with one of my love languages on the screen. Just a picture here. Mmm. <laughs> Sourdough bread. And speaking of love language, I'm seeing over there Matt uh, and Beck's happy anniversary. Beck is one of our elders. Happy anniversary. I can say happy anniversary to Beck's and Matt because it's actually Mal and I, it's our anniversary as well. We same, share the same anniversary. She's surviving somehow. All right, back to it, back to it. Sourdough bread. I love to eat sourdough bread. It's my favorite bread, but when you cut sourdough bread from the loaf, as you can see, the slices are kind of big, right? It's a problem when you want to toast it. Yes? Why don't they just have sourdough bread toasters? They need like these massive ones. They probably do, but I haven't seen them. So what ends up happening? Here's the next picture, right? You've got these these pieces, and, and then you've got to figure out, what do I, what do I do? I could take one piece of bread, and I could cut it in half, and then stick it onto both sides, right? But that's only one piece of sourdough. It's like, then you got to, like, wait for the next one. No one wants to wait. <laughs> so, what I do, and I didn't just, I wish I had I'd taken pictures of the St. Louis um, sourdough bread that I used, but I, I didn't have time, so I just took, I, I cut it in half. Remember that email where Brit, sent this past week about the exponential cutting and like papers to the moons and stuff. This is, this is two to the power of two, right? You, you take two pieces of sourdough, you multiply it by itself. Now you have four pieces. Okay, so I cut two pieces of sourdough in half. Or I pull it apart and I stick them next to each other. And then I stick all four of them in the toaster. <laughs> yes. Four pieces of sourdough out of two. That's incredible math <laughs> and highly satisfying. Now, again, I was saying, what is tension? How do we have both things instead of this or that? The reason why I do that with my sourdough bread is because it produces a sensation that you would not get otherwise. Because if you stuck one half of each sourdough bread and whatever you toast that, it could be one, it could be five, whatever it is, both sides will end up the same. And that's nice, but it's kind of boring. But when you put two pieces of sourdough bread next to each other and you stick them in and you toast it, something miraculous happens. When you remove it, one side is toasted very nicely and then the other side is very soft. And no matter what side you butter on, it's incredible. (laughs) I'm telling you, my friends, this week... Solve the problem, do some math, get your sourdough and have both. And I'm saying that because from a sensation standpoint, what's interesting is that you and I, in our senses, we, we more than likely actually feel the things that are relatively harder than the soft things. So when you bite into that sourdough bread, even though one side is soft and another side is toasted, what will your senses comprehend more? The crunch, the hardness, It's relative. It's like when we think about the ground that we walk on, we step on the ground, we're not necessarily thinking about the softness of our feet. We're just, we're feeling the impact of the ground. And it's a rule for life to know that more often than not, we will feel the hard things. And you can always find something harder, okay? And as Christians, we could end up being people in our mission, and our goals to change this world, show how hard and strong we are. But the world would be much, much better if Christ followers, and I know this is a really wild metaphor, but if Christ followers could somehow understand it's the both. It's both. It's not just one or the other. And, and if you're uncomfortable with both, I, I take the word paradox, and we say it a lot If that word is not in your lexicon for how you read scripture paradox, two things that are seemingly contradictory that actually make sense of things, it's so freeing to just know it's both sides of the sourdough all the time, over and over and over again. And if it weren't, we wouldn't be able to have things like this. Look. Philippians chapter 2, this is just a very, very small, small. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like, "Mm, do it. That's the hard. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's both sides of the sourdough, my friends. It's there. Over and over, I'm telling you, read your Bible and think about sourdough bread and just know that is what it means for Jesus to be full of grace and truth. It's, it's just, and the more we just accept that, it actually doesn't feel so tense. And that's why the love of Christ is the prayer that we are praying. Because when you and I, and it's really difficult, but if I could, and if we could somehow really accept the love Of Christ, it really would transform how we go about moving in this world. So here's your next fill in the blank. It would reconfigure our sense of identity. It really would change us if this prayer that is being asked and answered by God were accepted actively by us. Again, now to him who is able by the power at work within us. I said, next week, Britt is going to be talking about more of us as individuals. But this week, we're trying to get more of a collective sense together of this mission that we're on in Christ's love in and through us as a people. You know, it's fascinating. Oftentimes in your Bibles, when you see the word you, you're thinking like, yes, me, 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 me. And the you is in there, certainly, because in a crowd, a group of people, it's individuals that compose the group. We understand the bothness of that. But more often than not, when we say you, we've talked about this before in the Greek, it's, it's, it's a y'all. It's an all y'all, right? Right? So when he's saying that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, it's that all y'all would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that all y'all would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And in that sense, it's like, oh, I I could could see that a little bit more, right? If it's not just about the God of the cosmos just filling just me, but us, every family under heaven who derives its name from him, that's the beginning of the prayer. If that is what is happening, then perhaps more we can get that. So it's a collective identity. And we've talked about math And bits and pieces. And I know that I've shown you lots of different things on the screen today, but in your note sheet on the back, I I sent a link to a video to this really, really long math video. And again, I was a history and English person, but the older that I've gotten, I've tried to to get away from, well, I'm not a math person because that's ridiculous, right? Just settle down a little bit, feel your head hurt, and just learn. It's not that it's okay to struggle, all right? So if you'd like, watch that video at some point this week. It will feel like it has nothing to do with this message, and quite frankly, there's a lot of it that doesn't, but it's mind-blowing anyways. So I'm going to show you just a very small clip of, of this math video that's on group theory, because when we're talking about exponential growth, we can actually think about group exponen- exponentiation, and so here's just a little one-minute video on some of that.
1: The loosest sense of structure is if we have a collection of points and we consider any way that you could shuffle them, any permutation, to be a symmetry of those points. Unconstrained by any underlying property that needs to be preserved, these permutation groups can get quite large. Here, it's kind of fun to flash through every possible permutation of six objects and see how many there are. In total, it amounts to 6 factorial, or 720. Bump the number of points up to 12, and the number of permutations grows to about 479 million. The monster that we'll get to is rather large, but it's important to understand that largeness in and of itself is not that interesting when it comes to groups. The permutation groups already make that easy to see. If we were shuffling 101 objects, for example, with the 101 factorial different actions that can do this, we have a group with a size of around 9 times 10 to the 159. If every atom in the observable universe had a copy of that universe inside itself, this is roughly how many sub-atoms there would be.
0: My head is hurting now, can we play sports? Man, what in the world? I just have to give just a quick shout out. Because when I was watching this video, I thought about two people in our congregation. And I'm sorry if I didn't list out your name and you're good at math. But I thought about Megan North and Steve Pittsick. I just thought they'd be able to explain this to me. Uh, I, it's interesting when it comes to group theory. The idea of groups in math, actually, they, from what I learned. I, I'm sounding like I knew this before. I didn't know this before this video. It refers to all the different actions that can be taken that that retains symmetry, some semblance of symmetry. So uh, we talk about a snowflake and the different ways that it can rotate. There are 12 different actions in that group that have it remain that same snowflake. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but here's your next fill in the blank. When it comes to this bigness and the love of Christ, it should reconfigure our sense of purpose. You know, growing up, we often heard that the goal is to do things for the glory of God. And when I watch that Matthew and you see all these different parts moving around and all the ways that still says, well, this is what... That is, it made me think about us as people collectively in all the different ways that God is inspiring and compelling and moving us, whether it's as a local congregation called Sunridge that decides we're going to do this together in this season or as individuals that go back into our homes and workplaces. All of the rearranging compelled by Christ has us be the church, the body of Christ, and it's wild. It's just wild. Now look at this, this, this last part of this prayer. Now to him, by the power at work within us, is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, tall generations forever and ever. And, Mego, you can put the next slide up to fill in some of the Greek there. Right? You see what looks like doxa, right? Doxa. We, we think about the word doxology, right? Do you guys remember that song that perhaps you sang in, in your small church if you did that growing up in the Ecclesia, right? The church and in Christ you used to all generations. Now, I, I talked about identity and purpose. We should all these things moving around, but what I love about what we have in the language of glory is in the Old Testament, we, we, we think of glory as light and awe, Some, the glory of God that that really just is it's mesmerizing. It sets you back. But by the time that the word glory is used in the New Testament, it has been understood in secular society to just be how you view your opinion of something or someone. And so when we talk about God getting all the glory, Paul would have actually understood this to be God having our thoughts and our minds and and what those thoughts are. What are those opinions like? What does it mean for us to give God glory? Well, it's the collective sense of how we think of God, how we view God, our opinion of God. We want to give God the glory. We're saying we want our thoughts to be high toward him. And then we talk about this identity of, of us being the church, ecclesia, the, the assembled, the called out ones, and remember last week. This is a recap from Brit's message. One of the film blanks at the end is all you have to do is show up. That's that's a great starting point. Take that next best step. Show up, and you know why we know that that is true. Is look at what Paul says after he has finished praying this prayer, verse one of chapter four, which is immediately after the Amen. I therefore, the prisoner and the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If we recognize that God wants to, and he's the only one that can answer that prayer the immeasurably more, that we would know the love of Christ. If we believe that, then the next step is that we would lead lives worthy of the calling, his invitation. So here's your fill in the blank. Calling and sending us is Christ's formula for exponentially growing how we think of God. And this is actually already happening. See, the showing up, our part in it, the showing up is in between God's calling and then his sending out. It's all there. There's like the perfect sourdough piece ever. It's like everything happening. And when we recognize that God is the great initiator, that he's the one that calls and and we're responding because of his work within us, then God sends us, Again, over and over and over. This isn't just about a one-time moment in your life when you made that decision. No, no, no. You and I, the prayers that we would know the love of Christ. That is something for all of us, even today. Whether you have been a Christian for decades or perhaps today, God's doing something in your heart and you're wondering if it's actually possible that you could be holy and fully known, accepted, and loved. And the reason why I know that this is the point, not just based off of what is written here, but I referenced something in your note sheet that takes us to the final book in New Testament, Revelation, the apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus, the Christ. And and in Revelation chapter 2, I'm not putting this up on the screen because I didn't want us to get caught up or lost in that Jesus is addressing the seven major churches of their time. The number of completeness is to communicate that his message to each of these churches contains truth for us across the generations. And the very first church that Jesus speaks to is the church in Ephesus. It's the church in Ephesus. This would have been decades later on when John is receiving this revelation And in chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. I also know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned The love you had at first. Remember then what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did not, or do the works you did at first. See that message to this the same congregation? He's saying, I see all these things that you are doing. They're wonderful things, incredible things. But you've abandoned. The love you had at first, your first love, you've abandoned. And be really, really easy for us in a series called Exponential, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Be really, really easy in a series called Exponential for us to be thinking about all the great, wonderful, big things that God wants to do in and through us, and those things are absolutely to remember. It, it's all there. We want that. We want that. But the last thing that we want It's for Christ to look at us and say, "I, I, I see all that. I know what you're doing, but your thoughts about me, they're not accurate. There is no glory there if our thoughts toward him aren't right, because that's what it is. And what's interesting about when we take that passage from Revelation, most commonly, most commonly, folks want to interpret it in a sense that goes, okay, well, what what do we do? What do we do about that? Let me just read you an excerpt uh, from this book called Discipleship on the Edge. I've recommended it before. It's a study through Revelation that is remarkable. And the author, Daryl W. Johnson, talks about a friend who is talking about this Ephesus problem. And he writes, a man or a woman is first united with a Christian church because of having discovered and believed in Jesus Christ and his love. After a few years of being a Christian, that person becomes a leader in the church with very heavy responsibilities for the fellowship. But something happens along the way. That person who, because of giftedness and hard work, may now stand at the vortex of church politics and decision-making, experiences a subtle shift in style of life. That person is adrift as a disciple and finds himself or herself motivated and nourished by the organization or by controversy or by ambition to hold power. The first love has been replaced while perhaps no one was aware of the replacement. The first love has been abandoned. And in its place is the starchy, high cholesterol diet of activity and church work that will never nourish the human soul. The irony of this latter condition of the Ephesus syndrome is that the Christian becomes totally preoccupied Fascinated with themes and goals which would have never won him or her in the first place to have joined the church. Arguments over fine doctrinal points, distinctions of polity, exoteric giftedness, etc. How can it happen to us? It happens to marriages. It happens to human friendships. It happens to the life of discipleship. You've left your first love. I hear that and what I am compelled to do in my human weakness is think, okay, God, so what do I need to do? How do I fix that? But remember, the prayer at the beginning is that we would be strengthened in our inner being. In other words, our weakness, our propensities to think it's actually up to us to fix it. But remember, the prayer was that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So when Jesus is saying you've abandoned your first love, he's not saying go back and just do the things as in whatever it's like to be in love for the first time. No, because that would miss the point of the prayer and that would miss the emphasis on Him and that would, it would actually make it about us. And so abandoning our first love is actually remembering who that is and that's Christ. It's Jesus. It's Him. And we said it was a prayer for all of us. It's a prayer for all of us to have together And so part of our responsibility to one another when we are together in this space, when we want to just be those hard Christians, is to remind each other it's it's everything because it is Christ. And when we remember that it's Him, what a gift to get to go out. What a gift to get to be the church. What a gift to get to be us. So here's your very last question. So what are we doing? What are we doing? I love to do stuff. I love to get stuff done. What are we doing? Look at what is happening in your life right now. And don't just think about the big stuff that's coming. Because remember, that's all happening at the same time. Look at what's happening in your life right now all the things that seem wonderful and all the things that seem terrible, all of it together and consider what is God doing in us that wants us to refocus on his love because his love is able to penetrate all of those highs and all of those lows as wide and as far, as deep and as high. And if that is what we remember, if that is who we are, then Sonarish Community Church I'm so, so convinced that stepping out of this place, we can be the ones who know the love of Christ because God's going to do it. So this week, when you're in your workplace, when you're playing with your kids, when you're coaching that sports team, when you're interacting with that person, whatever it is, remember all the, the configuring of us and take it as a chance to say, God, your sourdough is really, really good.